Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the mid-1970s, filmmaker James Zalopsky traveled to Texas and Tennessee to capture the radical country artists reclaiming the genre through an appreciation for its heritage in folk and bluegrass and a rejection of the mainstream Nashville machine. The hard living, the hard partying, lifestyles of the outlaw countries, figureheads plays out on screen in trailer homes, prisons, and even a liquor-fueled Christmas gathering. The film Heartwarm Highways film includes such people as Towns Van Zandt, Guy Clark, Rodney Crowell, Steve Young, David Allen Coe, and a 19-year-old Steve Earle. With that, I'd like to introduce the producer of the film, Heartworn Highways, and that would be Graham Leader. Graham, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks, Mike. It's nice to meet you. I do love this music. And I will say from watching the film, this feels like a labor of love. Uh, James and yourself must have had a real attraction to these people because it looks like there was a real commitment on your part to tell their story. Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, that it was, um, yeah, we're talking about a long time ago now. We're talking um, 45 years ago. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very strong memory, but it's a distant memory, but it really was Jim's film. It was Jim's vision. Uh, we met in Europe uh, a couple of years before it was made, or a year and a half before it was made. And uh, he, uh, we met through a mutual friend, a friend from California, actually. He came and stayed with me in, uh, in London while he was, he was traveling around Europe in a small de chevaux, mm -hmm. a little tiny Citroen <laughs> de chevaux, which you might remember. I do. Like, probably <laughs> I do. do. <laughs> it's a really funky kind of quaint car. Uh, and he... Um, you know, while he was staying with me, I was actually an art dealer in those days. You know, while he was staying with me, he introduced me to the music of Guy Clark and Towns Van Zandt and David Allen Coe, and uh, who are the, the three characters who are really the nucleus, the central characters of the film. Yeah. And um, I just, you know, I, I just really grew to sort of, I, I grew to love the music. Passion of mine. I, you know, I really enjoy good writing. It's something I'm very interested in. I develop, I develop film scripts. So that's what I do. I'm a, a producer, and I, as a result of Hot One Highways, and so I'm, I'm very kind of committed to and very interested in the writing side of things. And that's what this music is really all about. And it was the anchor stone of his vision. Really, was that these would be singer-songwriters, and he had met. Uh, Guy Clark through a close friend of his from Minneapolis called Skinny Dennis, Dennis Sanchez. And Dennis, who tragically died before the film was even started filming, he had, uh, he had introduced Jim to Guy Clark and through that connection, you know, it was a key to the Citadel really because there's no way to get in amongst the, that, that group of people unless you were family. Right. And uh, so it's really... It was really Skinny Dennis that Jim got to know Guy, who is really about Guy and Susanna Clark, whose home is at the very heart of the film. And uh, I only really got to know the music through Jim. And then 
in um, November of 1975, about a year and a half after we first met, actually about a year after we first met, we, uh, we took a trip down to Nashville. And that's where I really came into contact with Guy and his music, his, you know, his family and friends. Yeah. I think it's very inter- interesting. I think it's important what you said. It, had it not been for your introduction to Guy Clark, making this film well, may not have happened, actually, it sounds like. Because what I gleaned from seeing them, these people in the film, people like Towns Van Zandt and David Allen Coe and some of the others that we talked about earlier, is that they were a very insulated group of people who were, I think they felt, well, they felt like outsiders, that's for certain. Uh, but also they felt like they really needed to uh, present themselves well they, they were trying to take back something they felt had had been lost in country music and they took it very seriously so it, it's not surprising for me to hear you say you the, you the need to get someone on the inside to say that you were okay that, that you could be part of this is is, yeah, is that a fair characterization that's very fair i think first of all that they were their real interest was um getting closer to the truth and it was, uh, uh, it was certainly um, an unguarded, unshielded, unvarnished sense of self and commitment, the purpose of writing true, you know, great songs that were, uh, they were, you know, they were really in search of the truth, like any high art form, you know, it, 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 it has that, uh, it, 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 that is a central motivating force. And I don't think they had a, any interest whatsoever in becoming famous. In fact, they probably more than anything, they, 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 you know, they, they, they were, I would say quite defensive in terms of the, you know, getting mangled and caught up in the machine that was the big country music producing factory, which was the, you know, which was the institution of, of Nashville. They were really, uh, they were all really about um, writing great songs and um, holding on to that, that, that truth. So let's go back and sort of set the stage for the, the context of the film. The mid-1970s, there was a, uh, a feeling that, and I don't know if I want to throw around any names, but it felt like country Western music had become very slick very kind of uh, commodified, something that w- it had a sound, a quote unquote sound that was somewhere for a lot of artists, somewhere between rock and country. And I, and, and it felt, and it was, and it's, there's a lot of truth. I mean, there's absolutely truth to what they were talking about in that regard. I don't know if we want to name artists specifically, but, it, it, but also country Western or country music was becoming more and more popular they were selling more records it's an understandable impulse to want to sell more records if you're an artist but at the same time you're losing a lot of the soul of the of the kind of music so well, i think not- you said it very well i mean i don't think they had any interest in smoothing out the edges yeah um they were you know their, their interest was really getting closer to what was most real and yeah. most uh, compelling and most challenging in a way so uh, um they were, you know, they weren't fugitives, but they were renegades. They were completely sort of, uh, you know, they were indifferent to, to that world. They wanted, you know, they, they were committed to a 
achieving their aims there, you know, on their own terms, yeah. without sacrifice or without compromise. I mean, no sacrifice in the way, in, in the fact that they didn't set out, but not sacrifice in terms of sacrificing their values. And yeah. I think the values are inherent in, in the music. It's certainly inherent, I think, Jim is able to capture that in all the cinematic values and the way the film is shot, uh, the way it's observed, the way it's, uh, it's not manicured, but I think it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. There is this ragged beauty to the film and that is a completely appropriate to the subject that, that we're, we're talking about. And it, it, there's different aspects of this life. We, ca we capture them... In, in studio, we capture them on the road. Dave and Alan Coe is literally driving an 18-wheeler. We see him in the process of, of making a living, really. It's what he was doing, I assume, in order to pay the bills. I like the, the, the rough edges of this film. It just feels like this, just what you said. I couldn't agree more. I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, is, it feels exactly like these people. Exactly. Would... I mean, we met David Alan Coe when we went down to film I mean, Jim already had uh, the idea that he would film David. Yeah. David had a, a history, you know, he, he, he'd served time. Yeah. And the idea was if we could put it together, and we didn't know we could because the film was put together on, on, the, on the run, you know. We, it was never, nothing was really nailed down until we actually got there and started filming. We just had to be kind of cued in and um, on our toes and ready to move uh, very quickly. We were down in Austin, filming towns uh, in Clarksville, a neighborhood in, in Austin, Texas. And um, that's where we picked up David on his bus to, to drive from, he was in Dallas actually, to drive from Dallas to um, Nashville to, to play at the, 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 the state penitentiary there, which was oh, a maximum security prison. That was all very real too, I can tell you. Yeah, no kidding. And his story before we get into the prison about how he had, when he was there, his life had been threatened and he was walking back into that prison. Yeah, he, was, he went there. I think he was, I don't know if he was, I mean, uh, whether it was always his intention to tell that story. The story comes out in the concert. What you don't see in the concert is that the, you, have, you, you do see the audience as it was filmed. But the, the vast majority of that audience was packed around the bleachers up on the sides and it was pretty intense. Yeah. I was up in I was up in the back actually in the bleachers with one of the, the big spotlights uh, during the concert and it was uh, it, it wasn't that comfortable actually. But he was he, you know he was greeted and he was welcomed and he was he was treated as one of them and I think they were you know they were hardened by what he had to say and by the fact that he, he put it out he, he put it all out there. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Graham Leader. He is the producer of a documentary film that came out, uh, we'll say, several years ago, Heartworn Highways. Uh, the film came out, it says technically 1976. Uh, Grime was saying that it really wasn't released until 1981 and a pretty limited release at, at that time. And it was very well regarded. I read it part of a, a review by Pauline Kael, who was- Oh, very, you read that review. <laughs> yeah, which I, 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 you know, I have to say, you know, I mean, she- she took the good parts of the film. I mean, she, in the sense that she, I thought she was very, she liked it. I think she really did like the she, film. She, had, she reviewed it as, a, I mean, she's venerated as one of the great film critics yeah. of the, you know, 20th century cinema. I mean, she is, to, to, to get a review, she was very selective in the, in the film she did review. 
and as an unknown, as a completely unknown documentary, an unknown filmmaker, to have given us a review at all was really a great, uh, a great honor. And I think she kind of, she really did sort of appreciate the, the film for its cinematic values uh, as well as everything else. And um, yeah, it was a very short-lived run. It was only, it actually only played in one theater in New York, uh, the 8th Street Playhouse. I think it was called the 8th Street Playhouse, uh, just off Fifth Avenue on 8th Street. That was just part of a, a, a deal that I'd made in order to get the film into the world. It actually had a, it had an audience, but it wasn't it wasn't really it didn't have a it didn't have a distributor. We were you know it was all it was all done just a, a, as part of a. Did it get a VHS run? I mean, how did it? Be, well, let me VHS, but that was a, a, just to cut to the chase here. I should tell you, the film really has not had any kind of proper distribution. Until, until now, Kino Lorber picked it up. Yeah, Kino, um, thank you. I was Kino. very lucky uh, to to be able to ha get the rights, uh, to have the rights in hand, and to I I felt at the end of the day that it needed to go with a you know they are uh, one of the top art house distributors in the world, and I they agree. have a fantastic uh, portfolio catalog of, of of you know of, of, of all the great films by great filmmakers, and so. It, it felt like we'd be in um, we, we'd be in good company, and they they really are uh, the, the the people that they put in the film out there at Kino Lorber are really passionate about the film, and uh, and hopefully the, the sequel too, which I think is a is a worthy successor. I think it's only now really getting a chance to discover its audience. So what, it did exist on DVD, was put out on DVD in two thousand and three, and it got uh, phenomenal reviews. But it wasn't. It wasn't promoted. It wasn't distributed. You couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't at Virgin Records. It wasn't at Blockbuster. It wasn't anywhere really. Look at it with any kind of perspective. I think this is the first time it's getting its um, a chance to uh, to meet its audience. Thank you for bringing in the Kino Lorber uh, part of this conversation because you're to your point. They are fantastic about. Well, it's uh, been a pleasure to work with them. Each each person on the on the team uh, has really. I, I've had, I've had, by and large, pretty dismal experience with this distribution. Not, not. I'm not just talking about with Hot One Highways, but with um, with other films that I've produced. And I, I think that this is um, this is the way it should be done. I think they are the standard for this you, kind of film, for, for an art house film. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to let people know that they can go to KinoLorber.com, and that's K-I-N-O-L-O-R-B-E-R. Kino Lorber, and you, it's on the front page. You can click on that link and it'll take you to the page that will describe the film to you and ways in which you'll be able to watch it. Kino Lorber also has their virtual cinema, which they have been releasing all of these films on. Um, and that's another part, another, that is the way to see it if you want to. But it's also in virtual, I think it's in virtual cinemas in around the country, I believe. Yeah, uh, Lemley Theaters here in Los Angeles are running it uh, as part of their virtual cinema. And, uh, so there are ways, but go to kinolorber.com for people who are, it should be, really, you should be interested in this film. Host privilege here to say how much I really thoroughly enjoy Towns Van Zandt and his work. And I'm not as familiar with Guy Clark as I want to be now, but Towns is, for a lot of people, myself included, one of the premier singer-songwriters of the last 60 years, I would say it's safe to say. And seeing him in his element 
is amazing. I have to say, I just thoroughly, I would, I would spend two days with, you know, just watching him, you know, the way he is. And there's a scene in the film uh, with an older African-American man. Uncle Simo Washington. Yeah, which is remarkable not only just for the interaction, but also for the song and for the reaction we see. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful part of the film. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, the, we were able to, uh, Townsend, Guy Clark and Susanna Clark were best friends. Yeah. And so we were able to, uh, to go and, and film Towns as he is, uh, <laughs> in, in all his special glory. Um, Really, that 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 came as part of the relationship with with, with Guy Clark. Were you there? Guy Clark, you'll find is is yeah. Every, I mean, he's just a phenomenal songwriter. He's yeah. just absolutely great. Were you there for some for this part of the filming? Were you there for the town? Part of it. We didn't even know what we were filming. I mean, I was putting together the the film was being produced as we were making it. There was no. There was no schedule. There was absolutely, we had no real clear, Jim had a pretty clear idea of what he wanted. We had no clear, we didn't have a shooting schedule except that we were ready to shoot at any time of the day or night and had to be ready, you know, drop of a hat, a phone call, a, a tip that, you know, we could come, we were invited, we should go there, we could get there, we could, we could spend this time with Towns because he was there and he was, uh, he was relatively sober. Well, he, there is that part. There is that part. And th it does seem to be uh, a, a fair amount of libations, adult, adult beverages uh, sprinkled throughout this film. And uh, we see the good and the not so good part of all of that in it. And I just think we see them in their element. I think this is the lives that they they led and it produced some some grief in their lives, but it also produced a lot of wonderful art. And, and yeah. I guess that's the trade off. Right. I think so. I think Jim had a very clear sense of what he wanted and uh, we were lucky enough to have access and to be there when, you know, yeah. when these things were actually happening and uh, Jim had the wit and the, the talent to, to capture it. Uh, yeah, I love the stuff in the studios. I loved watching uh, that the couple of different artists in studio producing their own records and the way that they went about it, the interaction between the musicians. That's another thing. It's not just them sitting around drinking and making, you know, oh, no. telling stories. This, there's, there's a lot of music in there. And I think what you were talking about earlier is the sequel, because it looks like from what I saw, uh, there's a whole bunch of music and performances that were not included in the original cut is that what we're talking no about? the original uh, the sequel is its own film it's, no it is totally original oh, okay uh, there are three we, we do see uh, in the new film uh, we do see uh, three of the original artists who are guy clark and okay. steve young and david allen Coe. Okay. they appear in the film as they are today as they were when we filmed just a few years ago but the film is, is absolutely its own film. And, oh. uh, and I think it's a very worthy successor to the original. I think anybody who enjoys Hot One Highways is, is going to want to see Hot One Highways revisited. It's great music. I think it's got the same kind of integrity and the same truthfulness as Hot One Highways. I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a close descendant. It's not a distant, it's not a distant cousin. It's, it's very closely related to the original. That's fantastic. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Congratulations on this. I mean, it's again, you know, it's now 45 
plus years ago, or four, almost, I think exactly 45 years ago from the, the so-called release date. But yeah. I mean, you worked on this some time ago and uh, I for I would assume uh, that for someone to look back on their career, on their life and have this to be part of, of what they were were there to produce and make happen is got to feel like a real accomplishment, something that you're really proud of. And it sounds like you are. I would say it's, it's been an honor uh, you know, to have produced this film. And I mean, it's deeply saddened that the director, the Jim Salapskis, uh, didn't live to see any of this. He died in 2000 before the film was even released on DVD. And that's where it was really began to be discovered. We have, you know, two other filmmakers. The, the person who was the sound on the film, Alvar Stugard, he died just a few days before Jim. Harris was the grip. So it's only, only three of us have survived. The editor is, is still going very strong and uh, doing great work, actually. On behalf of everybody who made this film happen, the musicians and in particular Jim, I feel you know, deeply gratified that it's getting this, uh, getting this release. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for this. Uh, I was looking through your resume. You were the producer on a, a, a lot of wonderful films, including In the Bedroom, which was a yeah. terrific, uh, terrific work. And others, you continue to work and produce wonderful things in, uh, for us, for, our, for the lucky ones here who get to, to watch your works. I want to thank you. Thank you so much uh, for that. And uh, Graham Later, thank you so much for being here on Film School Radio today. Mike, thank you. I hope uh, I hope the film is is well received.